Hello, everyone, and welcome to the More Deadly Podcast, where we review horror films directed exclusively by women-identified directors that prove that the female of the species is more deadly than the male. I'm your co-host, Rachel, and joining me is the always lovely, the always insightful, the always uh, technologically inclined, uh, <laughs> challenged, <laughs> Ariel. Hi. Hey, babe. How are you? I'm doing okay. Yeah. Things, the microphone and computer seem to be working okay for now. Hopefully, they'll hold up the whole time we record. We'll find out. <laughs> <laughs> How have you been? I feel like we've been talked forever. I know. I know. It's been a couple weeks. And uh, honestly, nothing has happened. My life has been super boring. But I did have a really weird nightmare about the podcast last night that I want to tell you about. What? Okay, but hold on. I want to hear about this. But first of all, no new presents? No, nothing. I do have a new upstairs neighbor who moved in this weekend, though. I My theory is starting to hold some serious water that it was a wooing from above. Yeah. Yeah, you might be right. <laughs> you could have, I guess been, we'll you could have gotten some of that sweet, sweet loving. <laughs> so I will survive. <laughs> I like that he picked the song. They also gave him a pep talk. But anyway. <laughs> All right. So tell me about this this nightmare. Okay. So you know how we were joking about how we wanted to get Nia DaCosta on the podcast for an interview so that she could become our best friend? Yeah. Okay. So in my dream, you got Nia DaCosta. And okay. we sat down to interview her over Zoom. This is starting promising, but it's making me nervous because you refer to it as a nightmare. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and everything was going beautifully. Like there was so much chemistry. We were getting along great. She invited us to her winter home in Vail to go skiing <laughs> with her. <laughs> I mean, I, RSVP, yes. <laughs> I think my only conception of what wealthy people spend their money on is dictated by 90s sitcoms. So, <laughs> <laughs> And like Real Housewives. Yeah. Right. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Right. Uh <laughs> So it, everything was going beautifully. And then I put my foot in my mouth, oh, no. which, I mean, unfortunately does happen in real life. But Although I feel like of the two of us, I'm the one that usually does. <laughs> but okay. So I went on a rant oh, about no. how I hate when reboots or sequels of movies name their movie the same thing as the original. Like oh, Halloween no. or Candyman. <laughs> But I was so angry, like my face turned red, you know, I was very what? animated. And I just kept going on and on about it to the point where she was visibly uncomfortable and finally ended the interview. Oh. And, <laughs> <laughs> and it went so badly that she found out where you worked. She contacted your employers and told them what happened. And oh you my got, God, Ariel! And you got fired because they said they couldn't trust Ariel. you to have to interview celebrities anymore. Ariel! <laughs> oh my God! I mean, I don't think we have to dig too deep for the analysis. On this one. <laughs> what a terrible dream, though. I know. I can I totally know. identify with that, though, because I have a lot of dreams. And this movie we're going to be talking about today definitely triggered these things where I have dreams where people are not listening to me. And so I'm getting louder and more and more aggressive in the way that I'm saying things. Oh, uh -huh. And they like start to physically turn their backs on me. Oh, that's awful. It's usually my mom. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think we need a lot of analysis on that one either, Rachel. Right? <laughs> 
so I can totally again like was there a part of you that as you were ranting that was almost a spectator like what are you doing this yes isn't working you need to stop but you just can't yeah it was like an out-of-body experience but I couldn't make myself just shut the oh, fuck up oh my god I totally identified this <laughs> it's terrible oh yeah I will say there's in no possible way that you would actually ever do this you are so gifted with just always being appropriate with <laughs> you are who i'm trying to model myself after oh you're so sweet <laughs> because i i'm such a boundary boundaryless wonder i need more ariel in my life so so but, that's why oh, you God. get people to open up though i really think that you do yeah Oh God, I just feel like I feel like I traumatize almost everyone I come in contact with. <laughs> no, but that's always happening where people are sharing these big things with you that they never talk about with other people, your truth lasso. And I yeah. think it's because you're so open too. People feel that from you. You don't you think it's not just one of those things where you're like, I don't give a fuck what this person thinks about me. So I'm just gonna un- <laughs> unleash the stuff I've been holding inside. <laughs> no, because friends do it to you too. I guess that's true. That's true. But I mean, I think it's because I'm a vault. You know what I mean? Like you can tell yeah, me stuff and I'm true. like, that's it. Yes. I mean, I want to know. I'm nosy and I want to know everything, <laughs> but I will keep your secrets. I just have to have them. <laughs> I am a hoarder of secrets. <laughs> That's how I feel like I'm close to people, though. Yeah. I feel like if you trust me with something and oh, yeah, hold absolutely. something for you, then we're close. When people are hard nuts to crack, that is the hardest thing for me. Oh, yeah. That's a big challenge. I mean, and we've definitely been up against that a few times, and I'm sure you've watched me be like, how do I get in there? (laughs) (laughs) What is the psychological combination to this lock I need in? (laughs) Uh, Yes. Yes. I even remember when we worked on the newspaper together, there was weird energy going on in the room between a couple of people, and you were the one that got one of our friends to admit to what had happened between him and another person when he wouldn't tell a single other soul. Oh, was this person the Greek? Yes. Okay, yes, I do remember this. Because I was like, I can't live with this tension. I can feel it. So we need to talk about this. Out in the open, out in the open. (laughs) Or at least to me, to me. (laughs) That That does sound like me. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I definitely identify with your with how upsetting this dream would be. I do love how often you dream about the podcast, though. You always have like the funniest ones about like all of your all the yeah. podcasts. Yeah. You know what? It's weird too because I actually rarely remember my dreams, but apparently the podcasts take up a lot of time in my brain. So, <laughs> hey, it could be worse, right? Oh yeah, <laughs> be- yeah, yeah. I mean, and there's definitely a cast of characters on our podcast. (laughs) (laughs) That is so true. (laughs) Yep. All right, cool. Well, thank you for sharing with that. I appreciate it. I promise it's not going to happen. For one thing, I don't think I could get Nia to costume here. I know. (laughs) Although I would like to be her best friend still. Well, let's see here. Let's talk about what we have planned for today. So we are going to be reviewing the film Knocking, directed by Frida Kempf. Before we get into that, though, can you please do myself and the listeners, primarily the listeners, a solid and let them know how we handle spoilers here on this pod? Yeah, absolutely. So Rachel is going to tell you a little bit about the director and the production of this movie. And then we are going to do a non-spoiler mini review of the movie and kind of let you know whether this one is worth checking out. And then after that, the floodgates open and we're going to spoil everything. So if that's something that bothers you, this one is easy to rent on Amazon or Apple TV Plus, a bunch of Mm -hmm. places. So go check it out and then come on back or stick with us. I'm going to need to talk about the end. (laughs) 
<laughs> like <Yes>. right away. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Me too. Honestly, I'm really excited to talk about this movie. Mm-hmm. And it sent me down a bit of a rabbit hole when I was looking for ideas for our extended episode. Ooh. And I started reading about other bizarre, creepy things that have happened in people's homes. So I'm pretty jazzed about that part of it. Is too. that what we're doing on the extended? Yes. Mm-hmm. Oh, awesome. Now, how many of them are actually just about you and you're going to say the <laughs> things you read on the internet? <laughs> Hmm. That's a lot of silence there. <laughs> I guess you'll have to stay tuned for the extended episode to find out what, what that means. All right. Let me tell you a little bit about our girl, Frida. And I do feel like we're on a first name basis now. Anyway, so Frida Kempf is a Swedish director, producer, and screenwriter. She received her bachelor's degree from the Stockholm Academy of Dramatic Arts. She began her career working in TV in the late 90s and worked as a producer, a reporter, and as a director on several TV documentary productions. In fact, wow. like most of her earliest stuff is document- documentary. Oh, that's interesting. That's also really interesting that she was a reporter for a while, too. I mean, so one of the through lines in her work, as we'll get into, is about giving voice to the voiceless. And mm, I think all yeah. of that really kind of connects. Yeah. So in 2010, she directed the short film Bathing Mickey. Okay. Which won the jury prize at Cannes. It was about a like a 90-year-old woman who would go swimming every day about their lives. Because, I mean, let's be honest, you turn 40 and you disappear as a woman. Yes. (laughs) So, again, the voiceless getting voices. And she premiered this at Cannes and she won the award, the jury prize for short film, which marked the first time since 1957 that a Swede won that award. Which is pretty Yeah, Yeah, right? That's great. Her shorts have also screened and been awarded at film festivals like Sundance, Telluride, IDFA, London IFF, and Gothenburg, which I'm guessing is Ooh. a big... Yeah. I don't know. Sounds like it. <laughs> <laughs> and Knocking is actually Kemp's first feature film. Really? Yep. Everything she's wow. done has either been a short or a documentary or something for TV, which huh, is I find that wild. surprising. Yeah, because it there's just such a sure hand in this one mm-hmm, mm-hmm. that I'm surprised she's never done a feature before. I think she was just chomping at the bit to really play with camera angles. And yes, you can definitely like see that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But this is actually the second time that she has collaborated with the star of the film, Cecilia Maloko. They, mm. they previously worked on a short called Dear Kid from, I think, 2016, which is about a mother who is growing suspicious about a coach's relationship to one of the kids on his team. Ooh. Yeah. And she's torn between not having proof and not wanting to accuse this person of something falsely, but also feeling this desire to protect a child that she thinks might be in danger. So that sounds fascinating because that would be a pickle as a parent. I mean, I can't imagine how gut-wrenching that choice would be. Yeah. And I think you can kind of see how this previous collaboration made her kind of perfect for Mm -hmm. this role in knocking because there's some shared themes, let's say. Next up, Frida actually has two upcoming projects in the works, which is exciting. One of them is a sci-fi film, which I couldn't find any additional details about because it's what she's doing after her next project. Up next, she has a feminist period piece set a week before World War II started called The Swedish Torpedo. Ooh. (laughs) And it's about a woman. It's about, like, it's, I think, a true story about a woman who swam the English Channel the week before the war started. Okay. Well, I mean, feminist and period piece 
yeah. my interest has definitely peaked already. And I can <laughs> I can already see it, right? Because it's yeah. another probably almost dialogueless story mm-hmm. of a woman bathed in gray water, <laughs> kind of going through a psychological experience. I feel like I'm getting kind of a, a taste of what it is, what kinds of stories Frida Kemp really is drawn to. Yeah, it feels on brand. <laughs> yeah. So let me tell you a little bit about how knocking came about. Okay. According to Kemp, it was actually a bit of an accident that she ended up making this film. She she said it basically started because she came across the short novel that this is based on and really connected with the social issues that it touched on. She'd been primarily working in documentaries, as I said, but she'd been kind of wanting to branch out and try some new things. And with this story, she felt like she could finally you know, talk about the things that really matter to her, like the social issues that were important to her and give voice to the voiceless, as I said, is is something that's really important to her in her filmmaking, while getting to be more creative in the storytelling devices that she uses. Like when she's making a documentary, your color palettes, things like that are largely limited to, you know, the reality of the subject that you're doing. Here she was able to play with that with costuming, using, right. you know, greens and reds to tell you different things psychologically about what's happening with Molly, the character in this. And as well as really, like I said, getting to try new techniques in terms of her camera work, stuff like that. In this case, she what she wanted to talk about was the issue of women not being trusted. It was shot before Me Too, but took on particular oh, resonance after yeah. the fact. And it was something that both she and the actor talked about kind of at length in interviews was about how they really connected between Molly's desire to be like, what is wrong with you? Why aren't you listening to me? With the tone of a lot of people opening up during the Me Too movement. Also... <laughs> Coincidentally, it uh, really resonated with people when they finally got to see it because while it was shot pre-COVID, everybody's watching it at home. Right. <laughs> all the film festivals are largely <laughs> at home. Everybody's trapped in these wall four walls. They could really kind of connect with this movie in a way. Yeah, I feel like it's kind make. of the perfect situation to have it, you know, to watch it while you're at home. Like I watched uh-huh. this in my apartment at night while I had a brand new upstairs neighbor moving in. So all the noises were completely unfamiliar to me. (laughs) And I really think it added to how tense and anxiety filled the movie was. Yeah, you got that. What what was that producer's name? Like something Castle where he did like the Tingler. Yeah. That experience. (laughs) (laughs) Amazing. So while those things really resonated with us, Sweden never really had a lockdown, so that that didn't necessarily right. for Kemp. But she did actually say that there was kind of a very personal connection for her in the making of this movie. In an interview with 1428 Elm Street, she shared that she also had an experience similar to this in a oh. apartment. So she said, I actually had a mental breakdown in a very tiny apartment. So I know that feeling that Molly experienced. I'm very sound sensitive, so I heard a lot of things during that time. Yep, I can relate to that. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And she also connected with the theme of violence being perpetrated against women while others turn a blind eye. She talked about yeah. hearing, you know, like reading all these stories of people who there's abuse going on for years in an apartment building and everybody just ignores it. Mm-hmm. Or Cecilia was talking about there was explosions in an apartment that she lived oh in Oh, my once. God. And the thing she connected with was everyone being like, he was so nice, though. Oh. After the fact. <laughs> yeah. So, like I said, specifically, though, she wanted to talk about per- uh, violence being perpetrated against women while other people don't intercede. And in an interview with Film Int, I-N-T, she said, both my characters and Dear Kid, which is the one that she worked. Right. Okay. Yeah. 
-hmm. and knocking are disturbers. Even if people think they are odd, they have an inner strength to interrupt when they feel that something is wrong. We need those people in our society. I want to encourage women to listen to their truth, even if it's hard sometimes, which I think is definitely something that comes through in this movie. Yeah. And I do think that she's right that in order to sort of disrupt the status quo and to make things uncomfortable for other people by interrupting, there is an element of bravery there to be willing to do that. Yeah. I mean, you're putting yourself at risk. You're putting yourself at risk of not being believed. I mean, there's a reason people don't speak up when they see shit. Right. Right, Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And we can get more into that probably when we get into the spoiler zone. All right. So Knocking premiered at at the 2021 Sundance Film Festival in the midnight section and has received positive reviews. And as you said, it is now currently available on video on demand on all of the major sites for around five bucks. So yeah, that's that's what I got. Awesome. That was great. All right, let's let's talk a little bit about what we feel about this movie in a non-spoilery way. Do you want to go first since I've been running my mouth? <laughs> sure. <laughs> so honestly, when this movie started, I wasn't positive I was going to like it because the first 15 minutes have a very straight drama feel to it. And so I just wasn't sure that it was exactly for me because I'm not always drawn to that, you know? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But I ended up really loving this movie. I don't yeah. know if you feel the same way, but... I was completely hooked. So first of all, it is a great kind of slow burn mystery. There you go. (laughs) It does not overstay. (laughs) Right. (laughs) That always gets me. I know. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. It doesn't overstay its welcome. It's short. It has what I think is a satisfying conclusion. Mm -hmm. It quickly and pretty effectively gets you into the main character, Molly's mind. Mm-hmm. so that you kind of know what she's thinking and feeling and you're kind of feeling it too. And we can talk about this more in the spoiler part of it. Um, the way that it was filmed, I feel like really helps that a lot. Oh, yeah. There's yeah. one scene in particular I think we're both thinking about. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so I think that the director did a phenomenal job. The use of lighting and camera angles really helps you understand what she's feeling. And mm-hmm. I also think that this movie does a pretty great job of really illustrating how having mental health issues kind of robs you of credibility in other people's eyes mm-hmm. and how traumatic that can be. Yes. And it's really kind of a lovely character study and honestly made me feel very anxious and uncomfortable through a lot of the film. I think it's very successful at putting you in Molly's headspace. Mm-hmm. And a lot of times movies will sort of tell you that somebody's having problems, but the ability to get you to feel it too, I think is, it just means you're a big talent, really. It, it, mm-hmm. I was very impressed by that. So ultimately, I love this movie and I can't wait till we can talk about the spoiler part of it um, mm-hmm. because the sort of twist that this movie takes is what really also made it for me. You yeah. Know? Yep, yep, yep. Awesome. Yeah, so I pretty much agree with you <laughs> oh good <laughs> i like you i wasn't really sure what to expect with this movie i wasn't sure how i was going to feel about it and i and i i don't know that there was a ton of hype leading into it yeah so sometimes that means it's you know but we still want to highlight it obviously so i was so pleasantly surprised when we finally <laughs> when i finally saw it so the only thing i knew about it going in was that people were calling it gaslighting the movie and oh okay mm-hmm And honestly, that could go either way. It's becoming a much more common topic, I feel like, in films. And though it's, I think it's a super important topic, 
I don't know that it's always handled really well. So I wasn't sure exactly how this would land. You know, it doesn't feel just as fresh for it to be a topic that's being covered. I feel like it actually has to have something to say. And thankfully, I actually think a big part of why I enjoyed this is because I it took a different tactic than it normally does when covering mm-hmm. something like gaslighting. There was almost a heroism to Molly that I think is lacking typically in these narratives. Usually the question is, is she a victim or is she truly crazy? Right. Where either way, then they're kind of the victim. Exactly. And I think that this takes a much more complex path with that. And I appreciate it. Like repulsion. This film is not. Mm, Yeah, that is very true. Which I mean, we we'd reviewed a propulsion on zombie girls. We had really positive things to say about it, but I don't know that it is. It's not a narrative that I need today. <laughs> right. You know well, and saying? it's been done. We, if you want something fresh, you got to say something new with that yeah. kind of plot line, you know? Yeah, totally. And so that was a big relief to me. And then Cecilia Maloka's performance. In oh this my God. Is... She's so good. So good. I mean, which is good because she's practically in every single frame of the movie. Yes. And with large portions of it, just her face filling up most of the frame. So mm-hmm. that's a very positive thing that she was uh, able to do this because she doesn't, it's a very light in dialogue, this film. But still, I never found myself getting bored. I was always really intrigued and felt like there was a lot of momentum to the story. The mystery aspect was a big part of it for me, as well as just kind of getting invested in her in ways that I, kind of surprised me. Yeah. I have some places in the movie that I think are a little unclear for me, so I want to talk about them with you. But overall, my feeling about this movie is very favorable, and I would definitely suggest throwing five bucks at it. Yeah, absolutely. I completely agree. It's definitely worth that rental price. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And it's. I feel like it's very under the radar. Yeah, I haven't really heard anybody talking about it, but I feel like this movie is so beautiful and has such interesting new things to say that people really should give it a chance and watch it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. All right. So that is it for our non-spoiler reviews. We're saying, yes, go watch it. It's good. But I want to get into some more specific details. Like there's one scene in particular that I'm like, I don't know what this means. Okay. So okay. Um, just vamping as usual to give people time to get out of here if they want to. <laughs> get out of here. I feel <laughs> no, like- stay. Please stay. I mean, you should stay. Forget I said that. (laughs) (laughs) All right, cool. So we are now entering the spoiler zone, starting with a little synopsis from Ariel. Go for it, girl. All right. After spending a year in a mental health facility following a traumatic loss, Molly moves into a new apartment. So right away, she starts hearing weird knocking sounds coming from the floor above hers. But when she confronts her upstairs neighbor, he denies doing it, doesn't know what the hell she's talking about. As Molly struggles with her mental health and kind of putting her life back together, she continues to hear these knocking sounds but can't figure out where it's coming from. And then she also starts hearing crying through a vent in her bathroom. So at different points, she thinks various neighbors in the floor above her are to blame for the noises. And she comes to believe that one of them may be holding a woman hostage or hurting a woman in some way. But the police do nothing. They basically just think she's crazy. Their version of 911 essentially hangs up on her after a while. So later she sees her upstairs neighbor throw out a trash bag that contains a pair of bloody pants. And again, she goes to the police and tells them that a woman is being murdered, but nobody will take her seriously. They all just think she's crazy. So she finally goes upstairs to confront all of her neighbors. 
She breaks into one of their apartments and at knife point forces him to unlock his bedroom door only to find that it's just his sick mother who's inside. She is arrested and taken back to the psychiatric hospital. But that night she starts hearing knocking sounds in the hospital. So she runs away and makes her way back to her apartment. There she sort of gets in bed and imagines that her wife is in bed with her spooning her and they're holding each other. And then when she wakes up, there is a pool of blood on her ceiling and it is dripping down onto her face. (laughs) (laughs) She then sets her apartment on fire, is rescued by firefighters. And while the EMTs are resuscitating her, we hear over their radios, one of them trying to get into her building manager's apartment to evacuate his apartment. And they find a woman chained up. The end. Did she set the apartment on fire? Oh, I assumed she did. Did she? I wasn't (laughs) sure. I was, I I, honestly, I went back and forth about it. So if you have definitive proof, that would actually be very helpful to me. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. So I don't actually have definitive proof. That's my opinion. (laughs) Right. Because on one hand you see her like she's smoking. And so she's smoking and she has that alcohol bottle that's on the floor and the sort of serenity that's on her face while she's looking up at the flames on her ceiling led me to believe that she had done it. I forgot about the bottle of alcohol. Because it wouldn't really have made sense if it was an accident. That feels too coincidental. And if the building manager had done it to cover up his crimes, he wouldn't have been in his in his apartment right. with okay. the woman chained up. Thank so you. So that's my theory. But I again, no, I, we I, didn't I'm actually sold. witness her do it. I'm sold. I'm sold. Because okay. you do awesome. see her kind of like take her <laughs> cigarette and burn the ground a little bit with it. Yeah. What it was is that the fire started above her like supernatural style. Yes. It and did. then like Very went much. down to her drapes. <laughs> so I was like, oh, the fire's coming from above. But I had forgotten about the alcohol, so I couldn't see the path. Maybe it went up the other side and came down. You know what I mean? Yeah. So that makes and more I feel sense like there me. was some just sort of artistry in yeah. that too, and mm-hmm. not necessarily accuracy. And you the, know? The, I, most of my confusion in this movie are the little things like that where I don't understand if they're just meant to mm-hmm. be. Are they're specifically just meant to muddy the water in terms of right. is she delusional? Is this really happening? Porque no los dos. Mm-hmm. My biggest, well, I guess I'll save this for cons because it's my only con. So okay. never mind, but we'll get into it. Okay. In a spoilery way, what did you think of this one? Okay. So again, I really, really liked this movie. Mm-hmm. One of the things that I like the most is how it plays with your perceptions yeah. of what is real and what is imagined or what's a product of a mental breakdown. So uh, for instance, nobody else is hearing this knocking or at least admitting to it, right? Mm. And yeah. it seems like at one point it's Morse code yes. that somebody is trying to communicate something through the knocking, but she cannot decipher it. Mm-mm. And the fact that she cannot decipher it could be a product of the fact that her thoughts are racing. She's going through this you know, mental anguish and she just can't put it together. Or it could be that she's just making this stuff up in her mind, mm-hmm. right? And it's not actually Morse code. So I think stuff like that is really interesting. And the way that she's having trouble kind of reacclimating back to her old life and caring for herself, the way she walks to the bus stop without shoes on, right? She gets all dressed up and then forgets to wear her shoes, where it, it has you kind of questioning what is real. Mm-hmm. And I really liked that. And then by the time there are tangible things that are happening, you're kind of primed to question it. Right. Whether it's real or whether at this point she's just imagining it. Because we do know 
that she's seeing some stuff that's not actually happening. Yes, that's the thing I think that I'm most confused <laughs> about is the, the woman jumping off the ledge. Yeah, I think that was her. What do you mean you think that was her? I think she was seeing herself jumping. But it was a different woman. It wasn't her. No, I know, but she had such similar hair and stuff. It made me think that she was thinking about herself doing it. But she, like, runs down. Yeah, I guess that's true. She runs down to see the body, and there's no body there. So, like, she yeah. is hallucinating. Seeing she, things. So yeah. that's why where I get confused. I'm not sure if that's meant to just muddy the – we're getting into my con right away. Sorry. No, 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 it's okay. I think everything else works, but that one is the outlier that I don't understand its inclusion or what it's trying to say other than just maybe she is crazy. Yeah, I mean, okay, I'm going to skip ahead a little bit. So one of the things that I think actually does work with this movie really well is that you cannot tell if she is being intentionally gaslit by people. Mm -hmm. If people aren't believing her because they think she's crazy. Right. Or if something is actually going on. Yeah. I mean, and the movie what makes I, you participate in that same sort of doubt that you that. Yeah. Yeah. 100%. Mm -hmm. And I actually think that's one of the most successful things yes. is because it's yeah. actually all three of those. Right. Right. Because okay. she is being intentionally gaslit by her building super. Mm -hmm. People aren't believing her because she's acting in ways that are leading them to believe she's crazy. And something is actually going on. Right, right. <laughs> it's all of those things. And I think that the way that the director is trying to tell you that she mentally is having a hard time and is dealing with mental illness is by having things that you know for a fact didn't happen. So the, the scene where the woman jumps and there's no body there, obviously that didn't happen. Right. Right. And so we know, okay, she is having struggles here with what is real and what is not. But then as the movie goes along, we do know that things are really happening, mm -hmm. but you're still primed to question whether it's real. So when you start hearing the crying, as the knocking gets louder, mm -hmm. you're like, is that really happening? Yeah. Or is it in her head? Because we do know that some things are for sure in her head. And then when you see like the bloody pants, right? Like, oh, well, something is happening or could it be something else? And she's just jumping to conclusions, you know? Yeah. Do you think the bloody pants were another hallucination? Because I kind of do. Yeah. Because it happens after the bird, when she's burying the bird. Yes. I love the use of the bird imagery. The first time she sees it, it's on the, the ledge, but it's having trouble keeping its grasp. I think that's so smart, too. I mean, right. that's one of the beautiful things about this film, too, is the way that it uses color and kind of literary symbolism. Yeah. Where it's like she's having trouble getting her footing. So is the bird, you know? Yeah. It's it's very smart and really a, a pretty way to do things. But yeah, I have a feeling that the pants are another hallucination of hers because one, they aren't put there by the guy who actually we find out in the end did it. Yeah. And two, she doesn't bring them with her to the police station. Right. They're no longer That's in That's a possession. good point. So that makes it me think probably, yeah, that was one of yeah. her delusions. Yeah. Oh, this movie's so good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And in the way that it, it keeps you questioning where she finds the sick mother, mm -hmm. you know, who's shut in that room, who is likely being locked inside because of possibly dementia and, and trying to keep her safe or something. And it has nothing to do with anybody being mistreated. Mm -hmm. But you can also see why she would think that. It's all just really smart. Mm -hmm. And it's just such a beautiful portrait of what this woman is going through and, and just the way it makes you feel yes. for her, but also distrust her yeah, and distrust her. Yeah, mm -hmm. exactly. It's 
It's really great. And it does it in such a short time frame, too. Love that run time. <laughs> <laughs> You're like under an hour and a half score. <laughs> I mean, it was the perfect run time. I didn't need more. I didn't want less. Yeah. It was exactly yeah. the amount of time I wanted for the story. And I think that there is some takeaway there that it's okay to keep it concise. I had no time to get bored. I was yeah, so invested you had in no every time frame. to get bored. And I also think that if it had gone on longer, mm-hmm. The points at where you're feeling her anxiety and her anguish would have become torturous if it had gone on for too long. I think it would have either dragged some things out and you would have had lulls in the story or it would have dipped into needing to add a bunch of exposition. And so much of what makes this work is that ambiguity. Right. Yeah. I I think some people are going to be frustrated with the conclusion of this film because it can be read as ambiguous. It's not, in my opinion, especially. I don't think it's ambiguous at all. Especially because it's very explicit in the short story. Oh, okay. So we're in spoiler territory. Do you want to know how the. Yeah, sure. Go for it. So in the book, there's actually dual leads. And one of them is Molly and the other one is the woman in the cage. Oh, so from the beginning, you never question whether or not Molly is crazy other people around her do and nobody believes her and it's infuriating to watch her get gaslit but that that psychological kind of question mark is removed by the book okay okay so interesting and when frida wanted to do this she basically told the producers like they wanted to include that and she's like i'm not doing that i'm not we've seen enough movies that show different a variety Mm -hmm. of ways in which to do violence to women i'm not i am not going to include a nearly naked woman chained i don't think it was necessary i don't think so either and and i feel like i'm a little bit of two minds with the ending Mm -hmm. on one hand i really appreciate this lighter touch and this decision to just completely avoid all potential exploitation but i also am a little sad for molly the character who doesn't get the same resolution that we get as an audience but she does she does. Because she's overhearing the radio. That's why she's smiling at the end. Or why oh, not smiling, she can but hear why the radio. Oh, yeah. Okay. It's Never the mind. EMT's I have no, radio I have one mind. Playing. I am of one mind. <laughs> Yay. Yay. Because, yeah, I wanted her to have the satisfaction of knowing. Oh, absolutely. You that, need that. That she, she is a hero and she was right yes. and she saved this woman's life. Yeah, I think that's that's so important because that's the thing about this movie is that she is being gaslit, Mm -hmm. but she's also just being not believed. Yeah. So both my mom and my stepmom for the majority of their careers worked as advocates in mental health facilities and psychiatric hospitals across Northern California. And their job was to advocate for patients in the hospital. Mm -hmm. So to make sure that the hospitals were following the laws, that they weren't being abused, they weren't being taken advantage of. And that people who had the right to leave or were well enough to leave or wanted to leave could. Mm -hmm. So that meant going to court constantly. And one of the things that they both often talk about is how when they would talk to the the patients that they were like so thankful that somebody finally believed them that something was happening. Because they were reporting just absolutely horrific abuses that happen in a lot of these county and state hospitals. Oh, yeah. (laughs) I can only imagine. Yeah. Because look at the power dynamic. Yeah, absolutely. But it's they're not believed because their mental health is in question, mm-hmm. right? Their ability to discern, you know, reality from fiction yeah. is questioned. Right. So it's much easier to take advantage of people like that. Mm-hmm. And it's also would be just incredibly frustrating and heartbreaking to never be believed when something is really, truly happening. Yeah. And I think this movie just 
so quickly shows you that reality. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Without much dialogue at all, you understand what's happening here and the dynamics at play. It's just it's a very smart, tight script. Yeah. You know, I thought was really interesting was and this I think is a cultural difference, right? Is Mm -hmm. that when she keeps calling 911, the police don't show up to her like here. That's the police come in, arrest you, whatever, right? right it's right. a crime. There, they're just like, you know what? We're just going to cut you off from emergency services, yeah. which is wild and incredibly gaslighting. Yeah. To just be like, you, I'm going to cut you off from any help in case of emergency. I can't imagine. That's terrifying. It's absolutely terrifying. But what do you do if you're continuing to hear this woman call for help? Right. Where do you go? <laughs> and when she shows up at that, I guess it's not an emergency service, like customs or something. And the guy is working there. Just as you watch these doors slam around her, it really drives home how easily you can become powerless if people don't give you the benefit of the doubt. Yeah, she has absolutely nowhere to turn. That's oh, so good. It's really, really well done. Yeah, it's great. And there are some sort of genuinely chilling moments, Mm -hmm. I feel like, too, like the one you were just describing when she's in that customs office and then she goes to talk to who she thinks is going to be a police officer that can help her. And she's Mm -hmm. like, oh, no, I'm not going to get help there. Or the time when she finds her super in her own apartment. That That mm. was so upsetting. The second that happened, I was like, "Uh uh-uh, no, he's not okay. Yeah. (laughs) This man cannot be trusted. Because she's in her bathroom and when she comes out, he's inside, inside her apartment and, to put a placard on the front of the outside of yes, her door. That was when Why I was like, there? oh, no. And then it was like the Mars rule. Mars has this whole thing about the people that are shady at first are always the good ones. And the ones that are uh, nice at first uh-huh. are always the bad guy. Yeah. But what I think is interesting about this is that is kind of the simplest reading of that, how it all shakes out. But the one of the best things about this to me is that. In the end, not only was she right, and we talked about that a little bit, but I, I like the way it sort of indicts everyone around her. Yeah. And that they all must have been hearing it. Right. If she right. was they hearing were saying it. They, they were hearing it. They ignored absolutely. it. Absolutely. So right. And they she, were on the same floor. There's no way they couldn't have heard anything. Right. There's no way they didn't hear her calling out for help or banging Mm-mm. on the – I mean, and this, I will say as someone who's kind of sound sensitive, the, the knocking is infuriating. Because yeah. there's an insistence to it. At first, you, before you realize it's Morse code, it just it just sounds very like you can't ignore it. You know, it, right. could, it could easily get in your head. And then when she starts recognizing that there's patterns in it, what's great is on one hand, it makes it more urgent and more impossible to ignore. And also it tips into this territory of like, uh oh, this could be a psychotic break here because she's seeing patterns and random things. Right. Mm-hmm. It's just it's very cleverly done. Very cleverly done. Yeah. My only other complaint is, what happened to Judith? <laughs> I want to know. Did she drown? Did she get eaten by a shark? <laughs> every time they I assumed like, she drowned. Yes, but... every time that drone shot would go further and further out, I was like, come on, give it to me. And they never do. I mean, I know ultimately it doesn't matter. The key is that she lost Judith and that trauma is like an inciting point. Right. But I want to know what happened to Judith. <laughs> you always need to know. Yeah. Yes. This is also one of the rare cases where we have buried our gay and I do- it didn't bother me. Yeah. I mean, I, I think the way it's it, it's worked into the story makes total sense. I think it's you know? because it's also treated as just like a non-factor. Yeah. She's treated just like I am a, I am a queer person existing in life as opposed to it being a significant plot point, which I think I like to see that more and more happening where it's just a part of the fabric of life 
as opposed right. to something that is a major plot point. Yeah, and the people, you know, initially when she's in the hospital, n- nobody's treating her like she shouldn't be as upset and traumatized mm-hmm. for losing her. Yeah. And you do get that moment before she sets the apartment on fire where you really see the love and intimacy between the two of them. And I think that is important too. Yeah, yeah. I agree. All right, so we got to talk about my favorite shot, which I was very worried yes. about you during. <laughs> so there is a scene where yes. Molly runs upstairs because she is now convinced that there is a woman in there and nobody is reacting. And she is ready to confront the person who she thinks has done it. And she knocks mm-hmm. on all the, or she rings all the doorbells and then goes in, in. But the way that the camera is rigged, it's actually this backpack on the front of her. So you're in the entire screen is essentially her face with the background moving behind her. It's extremely frenetic, very shaky, but it really communicates the internal turbulence that is inside her, like emotional turbulence that is occurring. And I was worried. I thought it was so compelling and really, really effective filmmaking. But I was worried about you a little bit because I know shaky cam is <laughs> not your jam. Not my friend. Yeah. Yeah. So I have seen this sort of GoPro-like technique mm-hmm. before in movies. And I generally really dislike it yeah. for two reasons. One, I don't think it's often used to communicate what the director thinks it's communicating. Right. Where they're just sort of using this, you know, shaky, frenetic energy, but it it doesn't really mean anything for the movie. And then the other reason is it always makes me queasy, Yeah, yeah, (laughs) you were saying. Mm -hmm. Because I was going like, oh, this is amazing. This is amazing. I was like, oh, no, (laughs) Ariel. So this time, yes, it made me motion sick, but I love this scene. Okay. I think that it, you are totally right that it communicates so much about the panic she's feeling inside that anxiety and almost this dissociative kind of out of body feeling where it's like she's got to out just keep moving forward yes. mm-hmm. yeah and it does it so smartly where again you are put inside her mind mm-hmm. and her emotions and that's i mean honestly i think that frida kemp really is so smart in the way that she filmed this movie because there are other times where the camera angle or the lighting or the colors that she's using Mm -hmm. communicate so much about Molly's state of mind. And Mm -hmm. this is probably the most dramatic of those scenes and is really effective. And so even though I was sick for quite a while afterwards, it was worth it because (laughs) it's so great Mm -hmm. and it does so much with so little, you know? Yeah. I love Molly. Can I just say that? I, that scene where she sees the woman being dragged back into the apartment, the other woman, yeah. and she I, I, she called the police and I expected her to do the anonymous thing, but she goes up right. there and confronts them. Oh, and, yeah. She's not going to back down. And I, it yeah. felt a little revolutionary. <laughs> it felt incredibly powerful for her to be unafraid to not only to get involved, but to be recognized as the person who's confronting these people. There's a bravery to that that I, I didn't realize that I was thirsty to see. And I, yeah. I see what Frida Kemp is talking about having these disturbers and how we need more of this in life. And I was like, Yes, here, here. I thought that right. was it was a small scene, but incredibly powerful because it the bravery that was kind of communicated in that moment and the solidarity between the two women. Yeah, I mean, she looks the guy right in the eyes. Yep. You know, she's feet away from him. Mm-hmm. It, it is very brave. Yeah. Yeah. This is a very, very feminist film. 
And not just yeah. because it has a cool female lead or powerful female lead, but I think it does the thing where it talks about what the struggles that women soci- face societally in ways that I think kind of really highlight them and bring them to the fore. Yeah, it does such a good job. And even in sort of quieter ways, just the way that Molly is filmed and dressed and the makeup they put on her mm-hmm. and the way that we get close-ups of her face and you see her smile lines and wrinkles Beautiful. and little bits of gray hair. Mm-hmm. And it's not covered up. She's still stunning. Yeah. But you see so much of her life and emotions on her face because Mm -hmm. they didn't use filters. Yeah. You know? Yeah. This is really exciting. I'm very excited to see what Freda Kemp does next. I want to see. I mean, obviously, it's a period film, a feminist period film. I want to see that. But I'm also (laughs) really curious to see what she's going to do in the sci-fi space. Yeah, that's interesting. Mm -hmm. Because, I mean, we know what kinds of stories she likes to tell now. And right. sci-fi is like horror is a really great place to do that. So I'm super curious what it's going to be about. Yeah. Do you know if it's a movie or a television? I show? believe it's a movie. So I said I couldn't find anything earlier, but <laughs> I just Googled it and I found something. Oh, okay. So let's see here. All right. It's an English language debut. Okay. So this is her sci-fi oh. film that she is working on. Next up, she's working on her English language debut, an adaptation of Nini Holmquist's best-selling novel, The Unit, a sci-fi thriller set in a dystopian, not-so-distant future where men and women deemed economically worthless are sent to a retirement community called The Unit. It's being pitched in the vein of The Lobster or Let Me Go. Kim's longtime producing partner, Eric Anderson, is producing. And this comes from Deadline from May. So this is... Oh, okay. So that sounds freaking great. Yeah, I mean, I I also think it it does a lot of kind of what you were talking about that people, you know, especially women become invisible after a certain age, Mm -hmm. and how much we're willing to dispose of people once they get, you know, above 60. Oh, yeah. Mm hmm. I think we're it's pretty safe that we'll be covering this movie. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. All right. Did you have any cons or anything about this that didn't work for you? I mean, honestly, not really. I really loved this movie. The only thing I would say is that the knocking in the very beginning when it's really quiet, I had to turn my volume all the way up to even hear it. The only way I knew something was happening was because I saw her look up. Mm. But other than that, I would just say this movie is not probably going to be a crowd pleaser no. for everybody. No. This is a, a quiet, almost dialogueless movie mm-hmm. that's really about this woman's emotional state and kind of what's happening in this enclosed space of this apartment mm-hmm. complex. So if if that's not your jam, you're definitely not going to like this. But if you like that kind of stuff at all, I think this is a winner. Yeah, I agree. It's certainly not like a mainstream kind of film. It's not. Yeah. It's not Halloween Kills. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> which we've already talked about. But <laughs> but my point is, in a world where we are talking about gaslighting in ways that are correct and incorrect a lot, it's mm-hmm. interesting to see a new take on it and to see a performance like this. Right. I think it's really compelling. I, I think if you have, if you like a contemplative film, this thing is going to tick all the boxes. All right, cool. So let's see here. That is our review of Knocking. I think we both agree. Watch it. Check it out. Let us know what you think. You can do so lots of different ways. You can email us at rachelzombiegirls.com. You can come chat with us on the Zombie Girls Facebook page. You can hit us up on Twitter and Instagram at ZG Podcast, plural. 
If you like the show, please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your pods. If you're looking for something spooky to watch tonight, perhaps something a little under the radar like Knocking was, you can check out our video on demand and streaming calendar at Zombie Girls website. That's zombiegirlsgrlz.com. And while you're there, check out our merch page at, at zombiegirls.com forward slash merch where you can get all of our sweet, sweet merch. Christmas is right around the corner. I'm sure everyone on your list would love a more deadly shirt. And I think there's going to be a, a bunch of sales. T Public has been hitting me up, telling me like, "Let everybody know about the sales." So this is me letting everybody <laughs> know about the upcoming sales. And if you love us and want to support us, you can always do that on Patreon at Patreon.com/slash/ZombieGirls, where you get extended episodes on all of our shows. You get to hang out with us on the Discord. There's probably some other stuff I'm not thinking of off the top of my head. It's good stuff. You want a part of it. For instance, Ariel's in charge of the extended episode this time. And we're going to be talking about, what do you say, like spooky stuff that happens in apartments? Yeah. Ooh. Yeah. Creepy things that are happening. Is this the kind of thing that's going to, like, after we hang up, I'm going to be like, oh, that was interesting. And then late at night, I'm going to be like, oh, God. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> are there going to be dudes and walls? Oh, no. Maybe. Oh, no. <laughs> Okay, well, there you go. <laughs> so I guess that just leaves our plans for the next episode, and you get to pick the movie. I'm very excited. Tell me about it. What are we doing? <laughs> so we are going to be doing something that I think you're going to be really excited about because you and I have been looking forward to this for quite a while. We are going to be watching Tatane. Oh, my God. I've been wanting to see this forever. <laughs> I know. I am so excited about this. This is the next movie from Julia DeCornow. She was the one who directed Raw. And if you guys remember, on the episode where we covered Raw, we had the guest, Caitlin Grant, from the Plug It Up podcast and Bloody Good Horror. And she is returning to do another guest spot with us to review Tatane. And she texted Rachel and I a few weeks ago when she got the chance to see it in the theater. And she's apparently got a lot to say about it and desperate <laughs> to talk to another person about what she witnessed, which is making me very excited Mean. to see it. Everything I've seen about this movie is that it's the wildest movie this year. Yeah. Yeah, I really and think And if, so. if she's topping Raw for wildness, holy shit. <laughs> holy shit. Let's just hope this one does not attack my misophonia center. Probably. Ooh, probably will. Yeah. <laughs> this thing's, probably. I think this thing's got to be fleshy. <laughs> I have a feeling you're right. Yeah. <laughs> oh my God. I'm so excited. Whatever the opposite of misophonia is, I guess it's ASMR is Caitlin's voice. So it oh, will I all know. balance out when I get to hear her beautiful voice <laughs> talking about this movie. Yes. Awesome. Yeah. So everybody, Titane, it's on VOD. Rent it. Check it out. Let's all go through this drama together. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. This one apparently has a ton of surprising things that happen. Ooh. So you're probably going to want to watch it first. <laughs> awesome okay well unless you're sticking around for the extended episode that's kind of it for us today so ariel we do me a solid and uh take us out thanks guys for listening to another episode of the more deadly podcast we hope you enjoyed our review of knocking and be back here in a couple of weeks for tatain with caitlin grant yeah bye everybody bye everybody thanks everybody for listening and to my co-host and good friend ariel for always teaching me something new Production on this episode was done by yours truly and edited by Ariel. Our theme song for the show is More Deadly by DJ Shark. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the extended episode. More Deadly After Dark. Woo!
<laughs> all right ariel so you have promised that this time we're going to get into some spooky doings that are going to become my personal nightmare fuel is this correct <laughs> yes okay great <laughs> great i'm italing that because sarcasm <laughs> <laughs> so okay so t- first of all how did you come up with this idea well, so I actually came up with this idea before I had seen the movie. I just knew that it was about weird stuff happening in the apartment above hers. So then I was thinking about one idea. It didn't totally pan out. But doing research, I discovered a couple of stories that I wanted to share with you. Okay. So I thought I would just do that instead. Okay. <laughs> I do like to get I do like to get a little spooked out. So although like now one of my cats has a nemesis in the back who comes to our backyard. And so Oh no. Yes. And so like every so often when the nemesis arrives he'll go crazy at the blinds but it sounds like somebody's breaking into the back door so then i go like running in there and it's just like my my cat being chesty with another cat outside who's just like like (laughs) the cat equivalent of that you know that emoji where it's just like fingernails being painted like that is what that cat is basically doing to my cat as he loses his mind and scares me (laughs) little troublemaker good thing it's cute uh, yeah, especially after you guys had that scare with the handprints. Oh my on your god, window. I know. Don't remind me. That's so traumatic. I'm so sorry. Oh, it's okay. <laughs> I mean, they haven't come in yet. I should go look and yeah. see if there's any fresh handprints out there. Do you really want to know that? I do, because I I am a glutton for punishment. I don't know. I gotta get like a <laughs> shotgun, or I gotta get you know what I need to get. I don't. I don't actually want a shotgun. What I want is like some sort of like you know like you can get those like pocket bigfoot that like growls or whatever i need like a pocket shotgun that like whenever that makes the sound of like oh, makes the, the shotgun sound. so i sound like um so you can home alone it yes well home <laughs> alone i was actually thinking more of uh uh o'connor what's her name sarah o'connor like when she's like okay. the one-handed pump uh-huh yeah, that's, that's okay so in reality it's more like home alone but in my fantasy <laughs> it's sarah connor and t2 <laughs> Okay. All right. Fair enough. (laughs) Anyway, scare me. All right. So the first one I'm going to tell you about is actually a Reddit story I'm going to read to you. Ooh. Okay. Story time. I like it. All right. So unfortunately, I can't tell you the name of this Redditor because (laughs) his name was redacted. Oh. Which I didn't know was a thing that could happen. So. Oh, jeez. Take the story with a grain of salt. Like, is it? Maybe his name really (laughs) is just redacted. Oh. No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) (laughs) i'm an idiot i'm so ready to believe everybody like no matter what you say i'm just like oh okay well you should never trust me i'm up to no good (laughs) all right so around june of 2016 my mother and i were living in a small apartment there was no basement or attic obviously but there was a tiny crawl space in the floor (gasps) of my closet i hate it already (laughs) 